Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence. Self-confident. Unconstrained. Good evening. Happy summer. My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, we are very happy to have the Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band. Born in the backwoods of Appalachia, bluegrass became a distinct music style when Bill Monroe combined elements of traditional Scottish, Welsh, Irish, and English music with a uniquely American influence and took his show on the road for a career that spanned 60 years. Monroe played this style of music he'd largely invented until the time of his death in 1996. But there are other towering figures in the genre who are still performing in 2013. Currently an octogenarian, Ralph Stanley won a Grammy for his version of O Death from the O Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack in 2002, and he is still going strong. Younger generations of musicians have followed in Monroe and Stanley's footsteps, sometimes expanding bluegrass and sometimes sticking close to the traditionalist style. Los Angeles' Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band is a new ensemble that falls more into the latter camp of tried-and-true bluegrass instrumentation, but also pushes its boundaries just a little by reworking some classic rock songs to fit into a more conventional bluegrass framework. The results bring a fresh kind of familiarity to new fans that might not know standards like Pretty Polly, but do know Neil Young songs. The Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band has one EP available, a full performance schedule, and they took first place in the California Bluegrass Association's Great 48 Showcase Showdown in 2012. Welcome to Independence Day, Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band. Thank you. Hey, it's good to have you guys here, man. It's so nice to have a bluegrass band on this show. I've had a couple acoustic acts, and I love acoustic music. It's so quiet <laughs> in well, such a pleasing way. Portable. It is portable. Yeah, it's, it's easier to travel with a bluegrass band. Let's introduce everybody in the band, just kind of cycle down the line here, and tell me, tell me your name, and then tell me what instrument you play. Uh, my name's Craig Ferguson, and I play guitar and dobro. And sing. And I sing, too, yes. It's an instrument. We carry it around everywhere we go. Next. <laughs> uh, my name's Devitt Feely. I do uh, mandolin and guitar and vocals. Um, Lydia Veyu. I play fiddle and I sing. And my name's Brian Netsley, and I play bass mostly, and sometimes I sing, too. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. And we have, so the band proper is three members, and Brian, or is it kind of like, how, how does it work with this? Because like on the on the record, I'm looking at the record. There's three people here. For the record, at the time, we weren't playing with Brian. We didn't have yeah. Brian yet. Okay. Didn't know so, <laughs> I did double duties. But uh, Brian's our guy. Okay. He's just a busy guy. So when we can get him, we get him. Yeah. And a lot of bands are like that. You know, it's hard, and especially in a place like Los Angeles, there are a lot of opportunities to play. There are a lot of people making a living, living at doing this and therefore are out playing all the time. So right. sometimes bands have their core and then they have kind of auxiliary like satellite musicians that they are some of our farther and some are, you know, closer to the core of the band. Well, yeah. and to make a living, you really got to do at least 150 gigs a year. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, you know, is everyone in this band a full time musician in some stripe or another? Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. And what is the, this is always a question I love to ask people who are full-time music. Like, who of you has the strangest, like, non-music job? Like, your last time you were doing non-music job, like, <laughs> what were you doing that was weird? Like, there's got to be a great story here somewhere. That was a long time ago. <laughs> That's a good thing, right? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been lucky. I've had 20-plus years out here in L.A., 25, 27 years. 
Other than like building satellite dishes in the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You and, know. And how, how diversified are you guys in terms of making a living at music? I mean oh, is, are you doing no none of you are doing like one thing to, no, to like no, to no. No. Craig actually I mean I'll let Craig speak for himself, but um I and I as a footnote we all have some weird connection to Berkeley School of Music over the last few, couple decades. Not me. Except Brian. Except Brian. <laughs> you don't need it, dude. <laughs> you got the pocket. I went to Berkeley College of Music for one semester. Yeah. Which That's was, enough. Which is about, yeah. they probably claim Alumni. you as a, they, they claim you as a graduate <laughs> right. if you're there right. for one semester. When I went, they had um, what was called a certificate or a diploma. Right. There was nothing more collegiate. Um, Craig actually went and got a degree in what I think is it professional musicianship? Yeah, what is the it's, degree it's, called? even that's kind of. Is there a barista class? <laughs> 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 or was it like a liberal arts of musicianship? Yeah, yeah, they called it professional music, and really what it was was core classes in business, performance, and composition, and then you could just add whatever you wanted to that. Um, and uh, I, I'm basically doing that. Uh-huh. You know, I, I didn't really. Um, I didn't really pick one of the three. Yeah, like so many musicians that I know, I mean, even people who are smoking players, smoking players, have, still have to kind of diversify. They teach some lessons, mm-hmm. they do sub gigs, they'll pick up a tour going out with this band or that band, and then they've got, you know, they've got maybe licensing or synchronization income, maybe they do a little scoring, you know. So that's the thing that people don't realize when they get into music. Like they pick up their instrument, whatever that instrument is, but then. 10 years down the road, you know, maybe playing violin is 20% of their income. You know, maybe they do all these other things. And it's, you have to be very resourceful, I think, as a musician to eke out a living full time at this. Oh, a must now more than ever. I mean, back in the day, whenever you had a dream of being a musician, you were always like, you get to be in a band, you get to record, you tour, and you thought that was about it. It's sign the deal. Sign the deal. Right. Yeah. Get yeah, the check from the yeah. yeah, that was like the pie in the sky thing right. growing up. Is like getting signed <laughs> right. was a really big deal. Like, oh, my band got signed, or that band's <laughs> about to be signed, and there's an A&R guy coming to sign them. That was <laughs> to like see the big the show. thing. To see the show. He's yeah. flying in from L.A. Yeah. You know, and now... Uh, you know what it what it we we know now is that like being on a major label can unless you're Michael Jackson or you know a really really big top top tier band is really just a really crappy bank loan that you have to pay back everything that they spent on you all the recoupables you know there's so many horror stories Jake Slichter wrote a great book about that the drummer from Semisonic you know they had their little run in the 90s with the closing time song where yeah. for, for a brief period there they were the biggest band and you yeah. know one of the biggest bands in America mm-hmm. and you know they did fine they did okay but all that recoupable stuff got recouped and Dan Wilson he's doing okay but you know he's writing with the Dixie Chicks oh, he's doing and, more than okay and he's doing he's, he's, <laughs> he's doing fine but i guess what i'm saying is like a guy like Jake Slichter who is the drummer in that band is not a writer doesn't have the yeah. writing income from that didn't get to go on and then be a writer with the Dixie Chicks yep. and other people you know he's i think he's probably doing reasonably well but my guess is he's not doing as well as Dan Wilson or the Dixie Chicks or people even, who have not those even other close. yeah Exactly. So, and you know, it's so funny to talk about this with you guys because we're talking just like I talk with every other band, but like you guys are a bluegrass band. Like, how different does all this industry stuff affect you? How does it affect you differently, or does it affect you differently? It 
It does to a certain extent. I mean, you know, when we go play festivals, people still bring cash and they still buy CDs. Yeah, people want an actual CD. Yeah. At a show, which and is nice. So yeah. if, if you're like me and you follow a lot of the bloggers on Twitter and all the stuff about what's coming up in the music business and everybody's talking about throwing away your CDs and people, those people aren't on the ground selling merch and you yeah. still sell a product and that there still is a product. And, um, I don't see that changing for a little bit longer. Yeah. I have a friend, a really close friend who's a professional folk musician and it's the same deal. Like people go to those shows and they want to come home with something. Mm-hmm. You know, if you see a band, you know, unless it's like a buzz band you saw at some little club in Silver Lake, you know, those kids are going to go on their phones and, you know, look it up. But people who are buying music are, are going to buy music and they want to take something. They, they go to a show, they discover you, and they, they're going to want to buy something. And with bluegrass, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a really different aspect of this. You're playing traditional songs. You're playing arrangements of songs from other people more yes. so than a rock band would do. Yes, you correct. Know, you're not going to go see a band in Echo Park, and they're going to play their version of, I don't know, Radiohead, <laughs> you know, and have that. That'll be, be the by Buddy Holly. Yeah, you know, and then it's yeah. like, oh yeah, I really love their version of Paranoid Android. You know, it's not really how it works with bluegrass. It's it's very very different. So when you guys, I mean, I, I want to play a track. Actually, let's do that first because I want to hear. I want people to hear what you guys are all about. You've got this one EP so far, which is eponymous, right? Yes, yes sir. Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band EP, and there are. This came out in late 2010, so it wasn't that long ago. A five-song EP, which is a proper EP. I'm seeing EPs that are like eight songs now. Yeah, that's <laughs> like that was an album in 1967. Yeah. Anyway, so this is uh, the band is Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band. Is there a the in there? Or is it just like, because Pink Floyd started off as the Pink Floyd and then eventually <laughs> dropped the. No. No. no we no, didn't no. add the the. So no. you're just a just rocky neck bluegrass yeah, band. Yeah, yeah. So you can learn about them. Drop by on their uh, their stop on the internet at rockyneckbluegrass.com. And they're playing around L.A. this summer, some places. There's some cool festivals we'll talk about in just a little bit. But first, we're going to play this track. We'll talk about it afterwards. This is a Neil Young cover. I hate to, hate to call it a cover in a bluegrass band, but I guess essentially it is. You guys well, have really you've it's, reworked it. It's an it's a arrangement because that's a cover is just you redoing. We didn't write it. The tune, yeah. <laughs> as as it was done before, but we're literally turning it on its head. Yeah, which is a good way to get people to listen because they might recognize the song, but you've changed it enough, like you've kind of smashed it and reassembled it to suit your own purposes, and people go, "Oh yeah, I kind of know that song," and then then you've got a new fan. So this is Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band, excuse me, playing Neil Young's classic Comes a Time here on Independence Day.
First step is admitting you have a problem. Yes. And I do love bluegrass, and I'm very, very proud, very, very happy to have a bluegrass band on my show. They are called Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band, not the Rocky Neck Bluegrass <laughs> Band. Forgive me for my faux pas from before. Uh, and I'm very happy to have you guys here. You're going to play some live songs in our studio here in just a few minutes. And speak to me about bluegrass instrumentation. You know, there's such a unique thing about bluegrass because it was almost essentially invented by one guy. You know, there aren't very many music forms where you can point and say, that's the guy who did it. Right. You know? And we're talking about, of course, Bill Monroe. And there were other people involved. He didn't do it single-handedly, of course. But there was kind of that prototypical bluegrass arrangement of musicians. When you guys set out to do this band, were you trying to base it essentially on that lineup? Or, you know, because bluegrass bands, there's, you know, they, you can add different things. You know, there's every now and again you see an accordion, or you now and again you see you know, double fiddles, or you see something like that. Like, was that part of this, the genesis of this? Well, the quintessential lineup is a five-piece that he finally, that Bill Monroe finally refined to. But yeah, like you said, during the war years, he had actually the fiddle player's wife played accordion in his band for a few years while his fiddle player was off to war. But uh, yeah, the quintessential is... Bass, fiddle, guitar. Mandolin. We're also fans of, you know, the early stuff uh, with Charlie and, and, and Bill. Yeah, and so I mean, because bluegrass really, you know, in that pre-40s, uh, it was the brother duet bands that were the hot thing. The Delmore brothers, the Leuven brothers, um, the Monroe brothers were kind of the cream of the crop. Um, and then it grew from there. I think unlike some bands, we don't... Um we're not we're not always a five piece. We're sometimes a five piece, and um, we don't really piece. care sometimes that much. Sometimes a three and piece. The, yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's and there's there are folks in bluegrass out there that um, just can't handle it if you're not a five piece yeah. all the time. Right. And that's something that I I do find somewhat constraining. Mean, it's it's what I love about bluegrass, and also what I find constraining about bluegrass is there are a lot of rules. It seems like yes. You know, you can't. I don't like it when there are drums in bluegrass. You know, or even washboard or anything like that. I don't want perco- <laughs> I don't want percussion in my bluegrass. I want my bluegrass pure and uncut with stringed instruments, and that's just how I want it. You know, there are bands who are doing cool things with that. I just don't want to hear it. 
Yeah, there's plenty of other great bands that have more of a crossover yeah. ensemble to them. Um, we just don't want to do that. It, it gets in the way of the subtleties of stringed instruments. Yeah. And so, I mean, do these rules, I mean, do they, do they, is it something for you guys, do you find these rules to be a comforting thing because then you know your framework or is it something that you, because you, you're pushing on it just a little bit with, by doing these like Neil Young tunes? Absolutely. There are people who are uncomfortable by our covers, you know. We, we, we get, uh, it's like Bob of, Dylan at the folk festival. Right. A little right. bit. Yeah. We get the best backhanded compliments at shows, you know. The last <laughs> festival we played, the MC got up and said, uh, "Wow, that was really different." Yeah. You know, it, it, <laughs> different. Yeah. yeah, interesting. When people say something is interesting or different, you know, it can be taken. It can be taken a few pro or con. Yeah. yeah, but you know, if you remember, ironically, you know, Bill Monroe, from the get-go, was pulling from different catalogs of genres that were already around, but because he did it it's all only sacred out of his library yeah. of course not well any, anything bill monroe did is sarcosanct you know yes it's, he's, oh yes it's, it's holy writ he's it the is. guy who you know in, in this style like I, I say again how many other music styles can you think of where you can point to one guy essentially right. and not say, even jazz yeah not even jazz you know the other american, american idiom right uh, musical idiom but you can't really point you know you can point to louis you can point to jelly roll you can point to a few cats but yeah. there's not like it's not like bill monroe no you know i mean and and, and i guess you can go sub genres and say right. okay zeppelin invented hard rock or black right. sabbath invented hard rock and somebody invented psychedelic rock and people you know strike their own little sparks but it's not the same thing in, as, as bluegrass in this case. So, and but I'd, what I'd like to do now, I'd like to guys have uh, play a song live cool. in the studio. You brought some, you brought all the instruments here. We've got a bull fiddle. I love the bull fiddle. I love to call it a bull fiddle. <laughs> bull fiddle. Uh, uh, and you're, man, you should see this guy, Brian. Like you're the perfect bass player. You're like a tall bass playing guy. Yeah, it looks silly with a mandolin. Indeed, yeah. you know, and then the last couple bands I've had in here who played the bull fiddle were were uh, chick bass players, which is always kind of interesting and extremely sexy, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> anyway, but that's my own little bass player <laughs> chick upright bass playing fetish thing. So this is Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band. They're going to play a tune for us. I think this is for Anna. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is the original instrument. And then you guys, and you, actually, you, you clued me into this. You're going to play like a twofer mm. kind of thing here. So we're going to burn through two songs at once. Tell me just a little bit about this tune and then what follows it. Uh, Foran is an instrumental, you know. Um, Who wrote it? I did, basically. Um, I wrote a melody in the <coughs> 80s that was part of another tune. <laughs> I, I, wrote another, I wrote another I wrote tune. <laughs> well, I wrote two melodies about 15 years apart. Um and Craig actually heard him, um, and he's like, "Dude, let's let's work on that. Let's make that happen." And so that's what we did. Yeah, but and then you're um, but you're gonna two for it though. Yeah, Not we'll run it right into one of the most traditional tunes. Okay, it's called "Sweet Blue Eyed Darling." All right, that's what I'm looking for there. Yeah. I want to know. Want to know people? They want to know what they're gonna hear here. Yeah. So this is Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band. Very very happy to have them on Independence Day. They're gonna drop a twofer on us, which I'm looking forward to very very much. So very happy to have them on the show. Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band here on Independence Day. <laughs>
sweet blue eyed darling And my love belongs to you All I ask of you my darling Is love me good Is love me good and be true Come and go I still love you And I see a smiling face Please tell me love That you need me And no one's gonna take your place Hey, you're my sweet blue-eyed darling And my love belongs to you All I ask of you, my darling Is love me good Is love me good and be true Again, Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band with a twofer here on Independence Day. A twofer Wednesday, not twofer Tuesday. They have like a triple play Thursday now, too. They're doing all kinds of crazy things with radio. <laughs> Got to do something. That medium's dying, too. It Music is, business and the radio yeah. business are in, in a sorry state of affairs. But that's what's so great, again, about bluegrass. It's, it's endured. It's been around this whole time. It's not like a big genre, but it's a genre that has staying power. You know, Since yeah. it showed up, it's had its own bin yeah. at every record store. And you've got people who keep doing it. Um, and so tell me tell me this, you guys. How, how long, I mean, just I'm going to run down the line here. How long have you guys been playing, individually, been playing bluegrass? And then we're gonna, there's going to be a supplementary question to that. Craig? Um, I kind of came to it late. I was grew up playing blues and jazz mostly. So I've probably been doing it about 10 years now. 10 years. Devitt? Um, playing bluegrass since the 80s. Okay. Solid? Oh, no, I've always played everything. Okay. I love a little bit of everything, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's always been part of my little musical makeup. Okay. Lydia? Um, I've been playing like old time fiddle stuff since I was a little kid, but I didn't get into bluegrass in a, like a band format until about for about 10 years. Like, okay. Like, yeah. Brian? And I'm an even later comer than Craig. I, I kind of, you know, I was always familiar with the repertoire and everything, but I didn't really play it in any sort of serious capacity until I joined this band. And uh -huh. I kind of went looking for a bluegrass band because, 
you know, as a professional musician, you're always looking to sort of yeah. broaden your, you know, deepen your toolbox a little bit. Yeah. And uh, and so it was like just sort of in look in looking to understand something a little bit more. Yeah. And then found these guys. And yeah, and you guys are you making waves. I mean, like you're winning festival or winning competitions, and you you got a full schedule. It's great to be doing this in 2013, right? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, we're lucky. Yeah, we're very grateful. Very yeah. Uh, and not so, to mention just getting the right people together. Yeah. Because yeah. playing music is not just fun and games down in your basement in high school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You've well, that's got to just have it. personalities and and yeah. professional level of Chemistry's, courtesies and chemistry. Chemistry is sure. very very important. So my supplementary question on all this is that most people I know who play this style of music, bluegrass, or most country players I know honestly, started out, you know, as like rock and roll musicians with like a closet country Jones, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of how. And if it if you get a special gene or a special you know extra special closet gene, then you become a bluegrass fan because it's even a subgenre of that beyond that. So I mean, do you guys you know did and girl I should say, <laughs> friends Romans countrymen? Did you grow up playing in rock bands? Most of you. Yes. Uh, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> Lydia, tell me about yeah. your experience. Um. Deep I, in the heart of Maine. Deep in the heart of Maine. Um, I started with just regular kind of classical violin lessons for a couple years when I was, I started when I was seven. And when I was nine, um, this guy moved to our town who had gone to Berklee College of Music and he played country and his family's from Nova Scotia and did a lot of kind of the Canadian maritime fiddle stuff. And that just appealed to me so much more than kind of like just doing the next song in the Suzuki book. So he started me on kind of, um, Contest fiddling, you know, mm -hmm. just going to a bunch of festivals all summer and entering fiddle contests and kind of just, I didn't really know what style anything was. I was like, I like fiddle music. So it was like a little Celtic, a little traditional, a little bluegrass, yeah. a little, you know, Texas style. I yeah. just played songs I like that yeah, were fiddly. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And I'm curious, while, I, while I've got your, while we're on the concept of fiddle, like I, I'm going to ask you as a fiddle player, the, the representative of all fiddle players in the all. entire world in the room yes. right now, how would you, what would you say, is, is there a difference between violin and fiddle to you? Um, I mean, it's the same instrument. It's just a different word for the same instrument. I think fiddle just kind of... Um, it's more of a stylistic thing? It's just kind of the more in the traditional, um, just like non-classical music right. it's so it's a stylistic yeah, so you're playing just, the same i mean i realize it's it's, exact i realize <laughs> it's the same tuning and essentially the same instrument so you don't change a thing about how you set up the instrument if no. you're playing classical versus no i mean versus... some people will um i don't do this like some um very you know traditional or like kind of appalachian style fiddlers will um kind of uh pare the bridge down a little flatter okay. so they can do some like cross tuning and get mm -hmm. a little easier double stops and stuff but no i, I don't do anything like okay. that that's, I mean, I've always honestly wondered that if there was any physical difference between the two instruments. I mean, I, I mean, they look essentially the same. Yeah, same thing. It's so, just, it's kind of fiddle as any of the yeah. traditional styles, and violin is usually yeah classical orchestra. I will, kind of I will sleep better tonight knowing that. Now. <laughs> so for the rest of you who are closeted, you know, you were in rock in rock bands. Like when did when did you have that first inclination when you were like, oh, man, I want to I want to play bluegrass. Like how did that go? I was in school and I was um, I was in the process of trying to learn how to play giant steps and twelve keys, <laughs> and I just had a meltdown. And uh, one of my teachers that I was taking some jazz with, um, 
I said, hey. You Is know, it at Berkeley? Yeah. He said, hey, um, I've got this other ensemble. You know, you should audition. Um, and I just thought, well, if I can play jazz in 12 keys, I can play bluegrass. This will be easy. You know? It's all in G anyway, isn't it? Oh, man. I had no idea what I was getting into because it's, it's been a um, – it's just been a completely exciting but but challenging process to yeah. um, to go about it in a way that does like really respect the tradition and and yeah. Well, one thing I think is a misnomer about actually even country in general. People who are not fans of country styles of music think it's easy right. to do that mm-hmm. style of music because you know the bass especially yeah. one five one five one five yeah. the occasional walk, but it's it's actually quite complicated, and some of that is restraint, you know, oh, yeah. knowing yeah. when not to play and to keep it simple. And elemental is a word I like to use when I think of those styles of music. But uh, so was that something you had to learn then is when, like, not to play? Oh, yeah. And it's a whole different, because flat picking, which is what they call the style of playing when you're playing guitar in bluegrass style. So did you then, you know, go to your teacher, and was it like Ralph Macchio and Crossroads, except it was for bluegrass? <laughs> Pretty <laughs> much, like, yeah. You're like, man, I'm, I'm not doing this yeah. anymore. I'm not playing Giant Steps anymore. I want to play bluegrass. Yeah, I, I went and uh, got some lessons from this guy named John McGann, who's passed away now. And um, he, uh, yeah, he uh, he basically had to re, I had to relearn how to play rhythm guitar. Yeah. Because I, you know, once I got into jazz, I was like, open G chord, duh. Yeah. Who needs that, you know? I had all these other great chords. And I had to go back, t- and I had to learn what's called the boom chick, um, which is just your basic rhythm guitar pattern for bluegrass. And I had to, for those who are musical, I had to slow it down to like 60 beats a minute and just work on that technique. And that was that was really hard at first. Yeah, I was watching you when you play, because I, I teach some guitar lessons too, and I, I'm a big anchor point guy. I'm always resting my pinkies on the guitar right there you know so because especially for single note runs i mean when i'm strumming i'm not doing that yeah but you know but i i tend to use my anchor point quite a bit and i was watching you play when you watch other bluegrass players play they don't do that no no so that's something you had you had to unlearn no i never anchored i i um probably because my first teacher was um you know a big bluegrass and doc watson fan so um even though i didn't actually play it then yeah uh, I'm sure through that he, you know, because he never anchored. Yeah, and this is total inside baseball. But did you ever learn Travis picking? No, I'd I'm be alternating, I alternating love, something. I would love to just have time to practice. As it. an adult, that's the thing that has been the hardest for me to learn because I had been playing for 20 years, you know, or more. And when I started teaching myself, and for me, I actually learned. It's so funny how I learned it. I learned it from a Steve Earle song, which is totally improper because he doesn't use really many fingers. When he does you don't his need Travis to. picking, well, that's like Doc. Yeah, Doc is you know same way. One Reverend Gary Davis Jr. Two fingers. Yeah. Mm. So when you watch so many players, Buddy Miller was just in town. I'm a huge Buddy Miller fan, and I watch him play. I'm also a Mike Campbell fan, and I I got to see uh, Buddy Miller really closely play at the Troubadour recently, and he almost never uses his pinky on his yeah. left hand. Eric Clapton doesn't use his pinky very much on his left hand. So many of these big... Mike Campbell almost never uses his pinky on his left hand. It's so interesting. It's very inside baseball guitar stuff. But it's a whole finger. It's like 25% of your fingers. Wouldn't you think you'd want to use that thing for something? Yeah. It's a I weak don't know. Finger. It's a weak finger. It's a useless <laughs> finger. So uh, talk to me about... You're in a bluegrass band. You don't need to rent a rehearsal space. 
Uh, no. To do this. You can do this in your living room. We have room. never yeah. rented a We have never done yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wonderful benefit of doing this. Are, are your neighbors like copacetic with you playing bluegrass uh, in your usually, apartments? We usually play in the day, so we haven't run into any. It, you know, issues. I mean, sonically, you know, the DB level is, is nil yeah. compared to a rock scenario. And again, no drummer. Right. So you don't have that sound level at all. Yeah, I've I've had bands in here, and I you know I like rock music. I like volume. Even sometimes I even like volume for volume's sake because tube amps sound great. Hey, it's art when you turn them up, man. That's a whole separate thing, and that's kind of my bread and butter. But I've had bands in here, and I again I say this with respect, but I've worn earplugs inside my headphones (laughs) when I do interviews with those bands because you you know I don't want to not hear my grandkids someday you know right it's a different thing but so uh, so your neighbors are cool with this you're playing during the day mostly never had a complaint how about you never yeah yeah it's funny when i when i play acoustic music in my apartment my neighbors come down they're like don't stop yeah right i've gotten that that. over the you know over the the back fence yeah are you guys all done yeah (laughs) i just called my buddies and they're coming over with a six-pack we're gonna listen to this it's not obtrusive yeah. You know, it's like cool elevator volume music. Yeah. And was was that a shift for those of you who played in rock bands to like have to learn how to listen in a different way to people when you're playing because, you know, when you're playing on an amp like you can you adjust amps and you that's how you balance out what you're listening oh, to. Yeah, but in but this band, did you have to relearn how you listen to each other? No, you're forgetting the golden rule of being a musician. Get paid? <laughs> <laughs> ask yeah, ask for the money? No, listen first. Okay. Doesn't matter what genre of music you're doing. Yeah. Well, but I, I'm I'm not talking about not listening. I'm talking about a new the way, way of listening. Listen. How you listen? Because when you're in a rock band, yes, of course you're listening. I mean, or you should be ideally if you're <laughs> yeah. doing it right. Um, but you know, to do it in this oh, kind of music, you know, and okay, here's an example. In bluegrass bands, it's not entirely uncommon to put one mic up. Right. And right. And then to ha- yeah. to do that. You're, you have to listen in a different way because the person who's soloing has to know, I now have to step up to the microphone physically. Yeah, and, you have to adjust your... That. You have well, to move right. physically the, and you have to adjust your the, volume. The, uh, the engineer before we started asked about headphones and you know what I wanted in my mix. We didn't end up using them, but I said, you know, usually with this kind of stuff, I just like a general mix. I don't want to hear myself more because I absolutely will... You know, if something needs to be a little louder... I want to know what the other, you know, what the other players are doing, how it's going to sound in the in the in the mix, yeah. as opposed to in a rock band where, you know, as a bass player, you usually just have the drums and yourself cranked in your yeah. monitor and you're just going for it. And you can be, right. you know, in other styles, louder styles of music, which is essentially all styles, <laughs> other than maybe acapella <laughs> choral music, but that gets pretty loud too. Um, you're very reliant on that technology. And without that technology, you're dead in the water. You know, I I do sometimes front of house for uh, like a mega church type of situation. And they all have wireless in-ear monitors. And so you're locked at that point with with the in-ear monitors, you are locked into hearing what comes through that feed. You know, I guess you can pull it out, but the stage volume is so low at that point that you're not going to hear what you need that way by doing that anyway. Um, And I think it's funny because we take so much more time tweaking those levels in those in-ear monitors and if they just actually listen to one another we wouldn't have those problems well you know you're talking about technology i almost think it's 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 the technique you use because when you're using your natural ears because we're not amplifying the instruments right they're just whatever the natural timber of, of the instruments coming out um you have your volume knob is your right hand or her bow hand 
So, you know, perfect example, when somebody takes a solo, obviously everybody else leans off of their right hand a little bit to bring the volume down so that the soloist doesn't have to blow their technique to be heard, to be in the front. And be sharp because you're playing so hard. Yeah. Well, and also over the years, I've kind of just come as far as the technology just playing and i mean sometimes i do play in a rock band or something i just assume i'm not going to be able to hear anything yeah through the <laughs> yeah. monitors yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean that's kind of i mean that's a we get to unless we're playing a like a bluegrass festival where the sound guy is very used to doing a, a acoustic band it's a whole different thing to mix a bluegrass band. yes yeah, and it is. when we play a place that's not usually used to having some somebody like us we can't, we can't hear so you'll see us kind of push all our mics together, we get as close to each other as possible so we can yeah. hear each other just acoustically, even if, you know, we are amplified because we can't, I mean, half the time we aren't getting any monitors yeah. anyways. Yeah, you know, there's that adage that, you know, you to you can't get a loan until you can prove you don't have the money. <laughs> you know, or, you know, you're, I'm sorry, you, you don't, can't get a loan until you can prove you don't need the money. Yeah. You know, so there's a there's a thing I, I apply that to monitors uh, because you don't it's like you don't get good monitors until you can prove you don't need them, <laughs> you know. And then if you don't need them, you don't need them, and you're you're off and running anyway, you know. So how about some more music? You guys sure, again, sure. you've got instruments here. Uh, that before you had an instrumental tune this time, and then you had uh, the, the blue, sweet blue eyed darling tune. So what's going to be next? I think we're looking at Rocky Road Blues here. So this is the Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band. I keep dropping a the in there. I want you to guys to be the. I want you to be the Pink Floyd. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm desperate we'll with this. We'll think about it. So this is a Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band with another tune, Rocky Road Blues. I'm thinking of ice cream now. Man, I'm hungry. It's all about food tonight. <laughs> so again, once again, Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band on Independence Day. Thank you. 
Neck Bluegrass Band. You can go to their website at rockyneckbluegrass.com. Sans the good place to find them. Also, facebook.com slash rockyneckbluegrassband. And I'm sure they would love it if you followed them on Twitter at twitter.com slash rnbluegrass. And if you want to know about my show, we've got 80 plus shows now, some really, really great bands you can go back and check out if you're bored at work or even if you're not bored at work. There are some really, really amazing bands we've had on the show. I've been honored to have every single one of them. Uh, you can drop by my website, which is indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. Follow me on Twitter at Facebook. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter, Twitter at indepday, facebook.com slash indepday. That's a lot of URL nonsense right there is what that is. <laughs> we live in this weird world where you like everything's URLs and, and Twitter feeds and Instagrams, and it's a lot of work, it seems like, to me, to keep it up with It is a lot of work, yeah. isn't it? It's and almost... And that's what I... Again, that's what I love so much about bluegrass is that it's simple, it's real, it's wood and strings, and maybe a little bone mixed in, and it's 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 happening live in front of you so much. And so tell me, you guys have this this one EP, which is available on iTunes. It's eponymous, Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band. It's a five-song EP. You've got this Neil Young song on there that we played earlier. Uh, so wh- where did that idea come from? Like, why why Neil Young? Well, he's he's kind of the king of folk rock, isn't he? I mean, he's the king of a bunch of little subgenres of rock, but uh, he crosses over. Yeah, he's one of those perfect crossover guys. Well, I think that tune comes a time came up because you and I earlier on had done a cover of uh, dance, oh, dance, 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 dance right. which is actually on iTunes uh, under Devitt Feely's name, um, the original version the bedroom masterpiece uh, that we recorded at home. Um, yeah, there's yeah. where technology... Yeah. That, you know, you're talking about the changing of it all. You know, we did one mic, the computer, didn't have to rent anything. Yeah. Very we, we made this EP up at David's Cabin, uh, and we, you know, I literally disconnected my Mac and brought up my Pro Tools rig, and, and we just did it 
know, basically live in, in the living room. room. Yeah. yeah. So are all the cuts? Are they all live? On the record? Well, we cheated a little bit. Yeah, we pretty much. Just a little bit. We didn't use autotune or anything like that, but we did overdub some vocals. So. Oh, yeah. But um, it's multi tracked. It's not just live to one mic, right? No, it's multi tracked. Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. Yeah. No, we just need a little bit more separation. Does it seem like strange to record a bluegrass band in Pro Tools? Like, it, it feels like in some, like, you, it's like you should have to have tubes and VU meters. And, like, <laughs> we did. I, I brought stuff. an LA2, eh? Okay. Yeah. So take that. <laughs> no, I love LA two ways, man. Yeah. I, I always I always rent one of those. And I don't yeah. own one, but I always rent. No, no. One I, yeah, I rented it. Uh, I'd love that. to own one. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I agree with you. Um, but we wanted to be very conscious about the budget. Um, and um, yeah, it's bluegrass. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we just we just didn't want to dig a big hole, and I think there are a lot of groups out there. And also, none of us are really big fans of the fan funding business right now. Um, you know, I, I I think you should really be able to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and make a record on your own terms. You know, I don't I don't need uh, some friends of friends giving me ten grand. You know, to I don't know. It's just make your record, yeah, or to sell your. I've got friends who are putting together those packages, and they'll like include a portion for their for their per diem. You know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, you know, that... Yeah, Grandma, here, why don't you give me yeah. money to make a CD? Because I feel like... It, yeah. It's interesting how that has become so prevalent now. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's very, very... I mean, in some ways, it's like so many things in the way the paradigm has shifted. It's allowing people to do things they couldn't do otherwise because the economy yeah, is terrible. Right. The economy is terrible. People, you know, 10 years ago, it, I mean, I, I'm not saying I necessarily disagree or agree with what you're saying, but 10 years ago, it would be easier to go, oh, yeah, I have a job. I, you know, I'm, I have a musician, you know, we've got a band, and, you know, I, I, but I have a job. Or maybe it's a music, music job, whatever it is. Now I have money. There are people now, they don't have savings accounts anymore. Yeah. They don't have a job anymore. Yeah. They're working at Starbucks, whereas before they had a 40-hour-a-week job, now they've got a 26-hour-a-week job. So it's allowing a lot of people, and it's empowering people to do certain things. I'm a little on the fence about it as well, because I had a friend who was a folk musician back in the day who he did that long before there was a f phrase for crowdsourcing. Yeah. He would sell advanced copies. You know, he'd sell invisible vaporware copies of his record to people and say, you know, when the record's done in six months, I'll just send you a copy. And at the time, it felt like he was like violating the sacred oath of how we were supposed to do this. You're supposed to do it on your own. You're supposed to work yeah. and blood and guts. But then now that it seems so commonplace everywhere, I think, you know, maybe it is a good idea. But aren't they, are, I'm not so hip to it all, aren't they kind of thought of as investors? No, 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 no. They can well, be. Well, they can be. It depends they on can the band. Be. I mean, some people just ask for... I mean, I remember back in the 80s, we didn't have enough money for the studio time, and a couple friends actually gave us some cash because they yeah. wanted us to see us get but, a record out. But ki through Kickstar, it's actually illegal to be an investor. Yeah. Well, it's, you so know, that's the wrong Well, it's term. like working yes. for Disney and being a cast member. You know, you serve popcorn, man. You're not a cast <laughs> member, but that's what they call them all. Yeah. So it's... Well, here's another thing that people are doing, which I think is really, really interesting, because the Internet and crowdsourcing, and it's just part of this whole new way that we're doing so many of these things, is that uh, we're, you're able to interact with your fans in a way that you wouldn't before. It seems like there was a disconnect. You know, like yes. you were existing in your musical world, and then you would issue albums, and then they would consume them in, you know, consumer world. But now you can interact with your fans directly 
you know, by hook for, for better or for worse. Um, but bands are doing things like maybe they're doing a crowdsourcing thing, but they'll say, you know, for the fan who's really into your music, because that's the fan you really want. You know, if you give us 50 bucks, you know, not only will we sign it, but I've got friends who will do, you know, they'll do the run of discs, but then they'll do a hundred discs that they hand paint themselves because there are also a lot, there's a lot of crossover between music, yeah, music and visual art. The advanced yeah. uh, copies and yeah. signed copies and that it's, you know, they're getting something for the, yeah. the donation. I tried recently. I'm a, I'm a Jason Isbell fan. His new record just dropped a couple weeks ago. A former drive by truckers, mm -hmm. guitar player. And he had a whole thing where, it came out on Twitter. Like I was dubious about Twitter until I started seeing things like this. They released 500 copies of his new album with hand-painted covers to random record stores nationwide. So guess what I did that morning? I got on the phone and called every damn record store in Southern California. Never did locate one. Yeah. Uh, but then I started seeing people pop it up on Facebook all over the country. Oh, I got number 267. Oh, I got number yeah. 384. I mean, that's cool. Yeah, yeah I think that's it's one thing to make an interesting product or to make a special product, but... You know. Like a limited edition kind of thing? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I support that. Totally. Yeah. So how about a little more music? You've got sure. some more tunes here. I see you've got a dobro here. Yes, I how do. About a, how about a dobro tune? Dobro tune. So this is, I think this track's going to be Lonesome Pines. You got I it. Think. Yes. Yeah, we borrowed this one from a great bluegrass band uh, called Blue Highway. Ah, yes, the Blue Highway. Blue, lots of blues. Lots of blues. Lots of blues. I'm good with the blues. Lots of minor thirds. So in any case, this is, uh, you are listening to Independence Day. As always, my name is Joe Armstrong. Drop, drop by indepthday.com to hear about us. And you will be able to listen to this episode on the website once we get our act together and post the audio up there, which won't be too terribly long. So very, very happy to have Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band here on the show tonight. This is the track Lonesome Pines. Let's hear this. <laughs>
Someday soon I'm gonna travel Back to the land that I love best In the stillness of the mountains I will find sweet peace and rest Lonesome pines, I can hear you calling Calling me back to my home Where the fox and That is so cool to hear this kind of stuff. I'm so happy to have this kind of stuff in our studio because so often it's so loud. And God, I love rock and roll too. But tell me, it's we're a long way from Appalachia. We're a long way from like the hollers in the hills where this kind of music gestated and kind of became what it is. Now, Bill Monroe took the show on the road right away. He was out playing dates, a lot of dates in the bus or whatever he toured around in back in the day. But what is the reception... For, for bluegrass in 2013 when you guys play a show? How do people receive it? I mean, say, for example, you're not at a bluegrass festival where people are there specifically to see it. Like, what's the risk? Like, you're a long way from where this stuff came from. Yeah, yeah but demographics have ch- You know, technology has changed that where it's not just a southern or east musical culture thing anymore. It's everywhere. I mean, the Beverly Hillbillies kind of changed that with national That's TV. True. You know, Flat and Scruggs, which was probably the most successful commercial band in bluegrass, more successful than Bill yeah. Um, because of that. In a genre not particularly known for its blockbuster sales. No, <laughs> no. Well, I mean, it de- I think it depends on where, where we're playing. Like you oh, said, yeah. like, a, you know, at a festival where it's, you know, attracting fans of this style, you know, we're received well, people like it. Um, it if we're playing somewhere where people kind of aren't expecting that, you know, so it depends. Sometimes we get a, oh, wow, I like this. This is different. But there's also a sort of a old-time revival going there's on. There's quite Generally. a renaissance. Yes. So if you're, if you're in a, even in sort of a hipster location, people, people like it. Yeah. And they get and, you know, 2001 changed everything, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brother. T-Bone Burnett really yeah. put it back on the map in a, in a big kind of well, I'm gonna way. I'm going to give the Cohen brothers credit first. but <laughs> yeah. well, they're, T-Bone, they're all in cahoots, man. They're all, yeah, they're all blood, 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 brothers of the art form, for sure. And, you know, now it's, because, it's become, you know, what are they calling it? Americana and roots mm-hmm. music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, folk, yeah. The folk, which has never left. Um, but so many new sub names for it all. Yeah. E- even the most non bluegrass listener is aware of some form of acoustic music that kind of fits under that canopy. Yeah, um, we're just not as you know we're not rock grass. We're not a jam grass band. Yeah, and that's a whole that's, that's a, a big whole thing. Other thing. It's a yeah. really big thing, and that's the, I mean bluegrass lends itself to that being so improvisatory. You know, yeah. when you play yeah. these tunes, you know, you may you've got your licks, you're going to get them in there, and they all kind of fit in. But you know, when you dive into a solo, maybe you don't know exactly how you're going to go through that solo. No, I mean it still has the same principles I think that jazz does. You know, exactly. you play the head of a tune, which is you know written 
God only knows when. The melody, the main yeah, melody. Yeah, the, the main tune. melody. And, you know, everybody does their thing on it. Play some hot licks uh, that cater to the tune still. And then you bring you play the head again. Yeah. Um, so from a from that performance point of view, it's 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 that. Um, but yeah, the jam grass is like, hey, let's do a twenty minute version <laughs> of uh, Sally Gooden. Yeah, and it's loud too. Usually, and they, it can be very and loud. They, there's a lot of they mix more electronic inst- or electric instruments in with it. Yeah, um, you know, I have friends in those bands, and it's a it's a good and it's living. it's you know, if you want to go to a festival and dance all weekend, but still have some form of a down home feel. Yeah, that's Jamgrass. Yeah, and that's that's a, it's it's interesting when bands go that route because there's a huge audience there. But like, oh, I, yeah. I almost feel like once you cross that line, you can't go back. <laughs> You know, it's, it's almost like you're pulling yourself back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, um, very, very much true. Um, you know, what is it about, you know, how is it that you make it? So many of these songs, they have similar structures, right? We're talking about the head and the solos and they go mm-hmm. back to the head again. And they're, they're relatively simple. And I mean that in a, in a respectful, good way. What do you guys do to approach a song to make it unique? You know, you've got two songs in G. They're both 4-4. They're both up-tempo. How do you differentiate between those two when you guys set out to ar- either do your own tune or arrange a classic tune? Well, it's I think it's that's why you can have so many different types of bluegrass bands. Literally, I think personalities of players come out. Um, I mean, if you hear Doc Watson, you know it's Doc. Not necessarily when he's singing, but his playing. You know his tone. Um, and bringing different personalities, even in a contemporary bluegrass band, um, define their sound. Uh, also, yeah, being very intuitive about how to arrange it. Yeah, we we talk about it. We talk about it, and then you, you hedge your bets, you know, try yeah. this, try that, um, yeah. with different instrumentation coming in and out. With Rocky Road Blues, you know, we, uh, we have uh, a little acapella breakdown, uh-huh. you know. Yeah, and there's a tune that everybody does, you know. Yeah. But nobody does it like we do. Do you yeah. guys, when it, when it comes to vocals, and I'm glad you touched on that, is do you have like vocals only rehearsals? Where you like sit with a guitar and then just work out harmonies and like make really polish them and get you? Not per se, but I mean, vocals are, I mean, it's it's one yeah, of the most important instruments, isn't it? For, I feel like early on we know. have one or two of those. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we do yeah. that when we have a like, uh, if we have a new tune and it's in three part harmony, we'll definitely. You know, go through the chorus. I mean, that's one of the great things about bluegrass. Yeah, with just a guitar. And yes, we do that. Harmony singing. Yeah, well, like, at the high lonesome sound. Absolutely. You got it. The the that's the one thing. I'm not a tenor, in the least, and I love bluegrass. And like when when you have when you start to add a lot of bass parts into bluegrass, it starts to sound more gospely. Mm-hmm. That's when it's gospel. Yeah. Um, but I love bluegrass, you know, and I've worked on like the high end of my range. But I don't know that I, I could never be like <laughs> the lead singer in a bluegrass band. But man, Steve Earle pulled it off, and he's yeah. not a tenor too. And, and you I don't love have to just have the high tenor above middle C or high yeah. C. You know, um, there's plenty of room in yeah. the spectrum <laughs> to have three part, yeah. and your tenor not have to be the you stack. Know, don't they call it the stack? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I like a lot of people confused that the high lonesome sound really w- was the harmony. Right. You know, uh, Ralph Stanley was was singing the really high part. Um, Bill Monroe often had lead singers in his bands. He would sing some lead, but a lot of times he was the one hitting the high A. Yeah. Um, yeah, he'd force them t- 
to sing in yeah. higher registers so he could sing the tenor. Even higher. Yeah. And force people to play in harder keys because pre-Bill, old-time music and, and uh, you know, Appalachian folk music was G, C, D. He's like, no, boys, we're going to play in B. Yeah. We're going to play in C. And that be where the lead is. And it's like, right. oh, wait, um, I have to learn my instrument more now. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. there's more notes on this neck. Uh, hence why, you know, guitar players get to use the cheetah, the mm-hmm. capo. Mm-hmm. Um, but it made banjo players, fiddlers, bass players playing different keys, which, you know, it's all good. Push the genre. Yeah. 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 Well, that's just it. You know, I remember reading an article of Don Henley, of all people talking about when he was in the studio, like key, the keying of the songs around his melody was absolutely paramount mm-hmm. because his voice, like a tube amp sounds good when you turn it up. Henley's voice sounds cool and raspy when he's in the top end of his range. Mm-hmm. And they would constantly be rearranging tunes, you know, and which would trip up everybody else yeah. in the band to, to, to find that sweet spot. Like where, what's exact key should this be in and on a good day? And I give him credit for that because a lot of people, you know, especially they get older, they key things down and they key things down and they key things down. Right. Finding that point where it's it's like a timbre thing of the instrument. The instrument sounds different when playing in that register, whether it's a voice or a violin or a mandolin, whatever, what have you, where things fit in. I love G key on guitar because there's so many open notes yeah. and it grinds and it can do you can do so many different things in the key of G. Yeah, but I'm great. I'm a junkie for G. Uh, <laughs> so. I have one more question. I want to play another tune before we run out of time here. I want to talk about like the sonics of bluegrass because, and I want to get your, each of your opinions on this. To me, there's kind of like there's kind of like two kinds. There's like the real crystalline, pristine bluegrass, which I kind of that's like the Allison Krauss bluegrass, which I love, and it's kind of perfect sounding. It's like the Steely Dan of bluegrass. <laughs> she is. That's and, a good one. And then then there's like the really gritty stuff. Like I've got a I've got a Bill Monroe. Uh, CD of him. It's all compiled from him playing barbecues and picnics, and it's all live performances, and it's gritty as hell, you know. And then on that same token, that's where like the Steve Earl Del McCurry record is because he did bluegrass through 1176 compressors, not right. known for sonic clarity. It's coloring the sound and making it really grindy and gritty, you know. So which which one inspires you more, or where do you where do you fall on this continuum somewhere? Like Ooh, even your band, I like all of that. But, you know, for people that don't listen to bluegrass, the harsher is something they can't necessarily go to, which is why Alison Krauss really has, besides her artistic choices for material, she's so popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, it brings she can't in, walk out the door without someone throwing a Grammy in her yard. <laughs> Pretty much. What has she got, like 24 of them or something? Yeah. She's the most... She's, I think she's the most decorated yeah. Grammy artist. So, you know, Pretty close to it. She figured out a great recipe for herself over the years. Um, but I have heard this from people that aren't into bluegrass per se. And, yeah, the early Ra- Stanley Brothers or early Jimmy Martin, early Bill... Um, is a little too harsh for them, mm-hmm. yeah. too grating, almost too cheesy, you know, in the pop culture psyche, um, where they need something a little softer. Like there's a ton of contemporary bluegrass bands that are phenomenal that have a more Nashville production quality um, that caters to you know the rest of the ears of of the world. Yeah, crystalline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me artistically, I, you know, I like a little all of it. Yeah, um, I think when I first got into it, I mean, I was listening to Grisman and Tony Rice and Doc, um, and they weren't that harsh. 
Um, but they were doing the real traditional material too. Yeah. Um, How about the rest of you? Um, Where do you fall on this continuum? Well, with fiddle players, I, I think it's, um, I'm kind of on both sides. There's this, I think, I think it's a Mark O'Connor record where he did duets with, it's called Heroes. He did du duets with a lot of yeah, his fiddle great. heroes. And I love Mark O'Connor. He plays so clean for a fiddle player. Like he's, you know, the, he's the reason why all these fiddle players are going to take classical lessons and getting all super technique because he, you know, he can technically play in a way that now people want to play like that. But there's this track on there where he's playing with Vassar Clements. And, you know, Mark O'Connor starts playing and he's like perfect and clean. And it's like Master Clements comes in with this like dirty, gritty, yeah. awesome, you know, sound. And you're like, you know, that's Vassar. You can you can pick him out of yeah. any record. And it's just I mean, that's the gritty, gritty fiddle player. But, yeah. you know, yeah, the rest of you guys, where do you fall on this? Uh, well, I think people with modern ears, when you're first starting to get into something, any of those old super lo-fi records can be a little bit jarring, you know, but what I've found is that, you know, whether it's, whether it's bluegrass or certain kinds of jazz, like I'll go to a, a modern record to sort of hear what people are doing with it now, whether it's, you know, Barry Bales who plays with Alison Krauss where you can just hear every note of that bass. Like it's just pristine. Oh, okay. Yeah, you hear the fiber in the wood. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, or you and then you put it in It was a humid day when they recorded yeah. that track. <laughs> right. I mean it, but you put in some of these old records and the you don't even hear the bass. You just, just kind of thump. feel it. There's like some thump it's yeah. there's I think there's probably ribbon mic compression yeah. cutting out the other instruments when the bass plays it's just well, there's, like there's a it's bass is interesting and unique in this case because if uh, the technology of radio technology there was a certain point when you listen to radio uh jazz on the radio yeah. we're talking like the 20s yeah. you wouldn't hear the bass because no. at that point radio could not reproduce the frequency yeah. below a certain yeah. mm -hmm. uh, frequency so yeah. the bass wasn't even there yeah. no so when people would go see a band live and there's a bull fiddle there oh wow yeah, you know that's what that's supposed but to the, sound like. But the you know the great thing about those records is that, especially for the the leader in, the lead instruments and the solos, you know the, all of those players, it, just players were different back then, and it doesn't matter if it was jazz or rock or you know or or, or bluegrass. I mean, the things that were important, they may not have had the technical prowess that you know modern players have but there was just sort of an intention behind most of the notes that a lot of what's going on now is missing yeah and and that's what's so great about those records for me now yeah. you know? no multi-tracking you know you had yeah. to burn it and yeah. you had to do it tight yep. and get it right yeah. yeah the example that's coming to bubbling to mind right now is there's this youtube video of this this young girl like a 13 year old 14 year old guitar shredder chick who's playing van halen's eruption and she looks bored <laughs> while she's doing it. Seriously, it's all over YouTube. You can find it. Uh, I don't know what her name is at all, but she's, I mean, she's playing it note for note. Every little nuance and every little lick, and it sounds fantastic. You know, we all tried. We all took our crack at learning to play Eruption when I was younger. All my friends, Berkeley friends, whatever. I never did, got actually. A, we, I didn't get all the way through it, but, you know, you got a little ways through it. And she looks bored, but the thing that's unique to me is that everyone's lauding. She, oh, it's amazing. She can do this. It's one thing to do that, but it's one thing to invent that. Right. right. Yeah. And we're talking about the guy. You're talking about these old bluegrass tracks. Those guys were at the edge of the right. style. Right. What it's like, Mike. To me, Ben Montens from Tom Petty's band, the Hammond organ player. Whatever he plays is the right thing mm -hmm. because he invented that. 
those bluegrass cats who were doing it were at the edge of the style. They wrote the book yeah. on what that was supposed to be. And they were, you know, it's hard to imagine that now. It's been going on for decades and decades to like go back and reverentially play those notes. Yeah. But you're not inventing it. No, but also, I mean, this culture today, the last, what, 10 years is everybody's a star because they can, there's great technique out there, but, you know, you got to have new material. Yeah. You know, a great song is what you need. Well, it's great to see a bunch of great singers or great instrumentalists. But if I've heard that tune already 5,000 times, I, you know, I'm really not going to go to see you do the same carbon copy thing. Right. Which is why for, for us with bluegrass and like jazz, you know, you're going to hear a lot of the same tunes, but you're never going to hear it exactly the same. Yeah. And so that personality of that band and those instruments uh, will always creep out. And there's always going to be original material coming out. Yeah. So one last question before our last tune here. Where, it's a two-part question, one, two, uh, where is bluegrass going? You know, because we can't, it can't stay in stasis. You know, it can't stay the same forever. And then where is your band going, you know, well, with like it John on Lennon that boat? Said, We're going up, Johnny. <laughs> well, to the toppermost of the poppermost. Yeah. <laughs> I think, as to your first question, I think that um, um, there's going to be, I feel like a lot of bands are going to be respecting the tradition, but also incorporating rhythms that are from other genres you know i s see that happening i mean i guess it's not going to be technically bluegrass anymore but um that's um, why they're all those extra adjectives now right you know i'm thinking of uh sarah Reggae grass and what's the what's man mandolin player sarah um, sierra hull no there's another one okay such for J. anyway oh sarah juarez yeah 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 Jar -O's. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Great some of those player. cats are doing some really unique things with acoustic music that's really no longer bluegrass, but it's... Um, Punch Brothers comes Punch to mind. Brothers. Right, sure. right. Very highbrow technique sure. and, um, and Thiele's, intricate. Thiele's playing with, like, Yo-Yo Ma. Yeah, right. yeah which is cross-pollinization yeah. between two styles, which yeah. are very distinct, but yet finding common ground. I just think that it's them. nice that acoustic music has found a wonderful new home base of fans and it's just going to keep spider webbing yeah. out um, yeah. with what Craig's implying the all the extra worlds of all world music what we all call world music yeah. now um, it'll be an endless amount of uh, elements coming in and out besides different bands keeping and yeah. it'll be interesting tradition. to see if the tradition evaporates at all like yeah. well some of those rules that um, you know are are being that we even that we even try to enforce will those eventually go away? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. And how about your band? Where you? What's next with you? You've got the one EP, but it's already, you know, it's two. It's a hot debate. It's a hot debate. We uh, <laughs> we keep discussing it, and um, well, we'll get something out. But you know, there's a big discussion just in the world of does it matter, right? Well, it's hard because it's it's okay to produce a product anymore. Um, I mean, I never thought of it until somebody was talking to me about it the other day. Um, I still think I like to have a product, something 
what is it, tactile, a physical, a physical yeah. thing. I don't want to just rely on that dumb computer in case <laughs> that hard drive crashes. I still want to have a CD player or my record player or my cassette player. It's all Sorry. in the cloud, man. Whatever, yeah, man. You're, you're dead. <laughs> all right, I'm dead. But, you know, when it's your satellites are gone and your coax <laughs> wire's fried, I got my turntable and my cassette player. When you're drying deer meat on the uh, freeway, you're you're getting very Fight Club right now. Well, and I quit eating the animals because I love them too much, but that's a whole other story. When you're drying kale. (laughs) Yes. I won't do kale. On the the 10. That's too weird for me. All right. So how about one last tune before we roll out of here? It looks like you've got a very, very, very very standard standard looking at old Joe Clark here. Oh, yeah. Great old fiddle tune. Again, this is where we put our little spin on it. Um, you know what? Not to mention one other song on the CD is a song that Craig brought to the fray from a great writer, John Prime. Big fan. Yeah. Okay. Um, when he brought that in, I knew of it as the original version. Well, when you listen to the CD, you'll see what we did to it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. There are few people I like as much as John Prine when it comes yeah. to writing a song and talk about elegant simplicity. Yes. You know, there is nothing in those songs that shouldn't be. And it's so simple, but it's so perfect. You know, he's a real gem. Yeah. He's a real gem. And I'm, I'm, I've seen him, I think, twice now play live, and I would hope I get a chance to see him again because he's getting up there. He's yes. a little older, the AARP, AARP crowd. Yeah, indeed. So, all right, so this is Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band with the track Old Joe Clark on Independence Day.
again. So very happy and proud to have Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band on the show. You can visit their website at rockyneckbluegrass.com. Follow them on Twitter at RN, RN Bluegrass. I'm looking at RNB Bluegrass, but it'll be something totally different. <laughs> well, that'll different. be 10 years later. RNB yeah, Bluegrass. We'll it's the RNB Bluegrass Band. You're going to slow jam pretty poly, aren't you? <laughs> That's what we're going to do. So you guys have got some got a busy summer coming up ahead. You've got some pretty cool stuff. You're playing the California Citrus State Historic Park in beautiful Riverside. That's June 28th, just a couple days from now. So it's 6.30 p.m., reasonable time. Bring your kids. Yeah, it's it's right? a wonderful venue, yeah, outside. And hot out there, though. You guys have two No, at, in? Uh, it's, it's, uh, th- it's encased with uh, the citrus trees, Okay, and it gets a wonderful... Uh, weather okay. change because tu- tuning can be challenging. <laughs> yes, when it gets hot out there, and if you're all, all an acoustic band, that that has a whole different element of surprise. You betcha. <laughs> Not a pleasant one either. Also, the next day, June 29th, Farm Folk Festival in beautiful Anaheim, 5:45 p.m. Once again, an early show. Bring your kids. Kids love blue. Totally family yes. friendly. Uh, yes. And then Friday, August 3rd, this is a really big deal. You guys are playing at the Mammoth Bluegrass Festival. They haven't been doing that that terribly long up there, but what a great place for a bluegrass year. festival. Yeah, yeah, with wonderful. I mean, Ricky Skaggs and Kentucky Thunder and other great national mm. acts. So yeah. we're very happy and lucky to be with them. Yeah, yeah. So very happy. So go out and see these guys and girl. They're amazing. Buy their CD. You can drop by iTunes, Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band. Uh, the CD, not eponymous, but it is eponymously named <laughs> is what it's called. So thank you so very much to the Rocky Neck Bluegrass Band, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. And as always, to my right-hand man, Valentino Rivera, and Hector Rolizano and Miguel Florencio from Lancer Radio. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, enjoy your summer. I'm Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another.